Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So you're listening to East Leeds FM, Love the Words. And this evening we're talking to M. Whitfield Brooks. Hello, M. Hi, hi, Peter. M. I mean, we've worked together over the years. We've, you know, I've I've known your work. It's 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 very varied. We're going to be hearing uh, about the range of work you do, and this is very much in the uh, within the theme, the broad theme of voice that we've been uh, visiting on. Love the words here and there mm-hmm. for the last month or two. Uh, voice being absolutely crucial to your work. If you're, um, yeah, how do you describe yourself? If you're, at a, if, you're if you're with people, say, at, a, at, a, at some sort of social event, which we don't do them anymore at the moment, but if we were, yes. and, and we were with people, and you were with people who perhaps weren't within our kind of arts world, and somebody said, so what do you do for a living? What would you say? I would say I, I often... Well, again, I do. I do sometimes wonder what to start with, but I do say I work with voice. I I often actually start by saying I'm a director, and then that I work with voice and singing, and that I am a jazz singer or was a jazz singer, and I'm a songwriter. But actually, I also do a lot of work now in the in the kind of realm of creative facilitation. And by the time I say creative facilitation, there's a bit of a glazed look of like, what is that? And isn't that? And there's a sort of wow, what what a lot of things you do. And I have always done lots of things, but I but I th- as you say, I think voice is the kind of central arena that I'm most interested in. Um, performance voice presence and communication are the kind of realms i'm working in now really well we'll hear about that it's fascinating i love the idea of and the notion of presence and working with presence we must must come back to that um yeah so um in terms of of a voice i mean well first of all how, how's it been for you this last year em i mean as somebody who works so much with people and you know mm. in groups in the room with people you are so present yeah. when you're there how's it been it's been really uh it's been really challenging um especially the first kind of six months but uh now I, I mean, I guess at the beginning there was, a, there's been, there's, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm in a process of reinvention as are so many of us in the arts and outside the arts as well. Um, and for the first six months, really, I mean, I lost all my work and some wonderful choral projects. So that's another thing I say I do, or I did used to say I do kind of top of the list was, was that I am a choral leader. So I, I work with choirs. I'm a kind of, I guess I'm a choir whisperer. I can go into, I used to go in and work with existing choirs and existing groups and kind of see what was going on and and um, particularly community, what, community is a loaded word, I'm interested in that word, but working with non-professionals to uh, free their voices and 
improve their confidence and their quality and their clarity and their sense of joy in the whole process, whether that's in a choral situation or in a making a show, a big performance or just in their regular sessions. Um, so that all went. I was, was doing some work with Streetwise Opera and Whitby Music Port, Hull Freedom Chorus. I've been directing them for the last 10 years and all of it just went under the bus of COVID. So it was really hard at the beginning and actually a kind of identity crisis almost, which I'm sure uh, other people in the arts also had of like, well, if, if what I do is now gone, um, what, well, what am I? So that was hard. It was hard at the beginning. Um, and I was also saved by a, a 15 month course I was already signed up to do. I was already on this course, which was a course in coaching and mentoring. Um, and so I just focused, I just dived into that much. It gave it many more hours and thought and reading and, and also worked with lots of volunteer clients throughout those first, well, the whole of last year, actually, um, to kind of learn a new craft. And when I started to feel really interested and a bit more confident in that world, I, I, I realised that I could, that my skills could still be useful. And when I realised my skills could still be useful, I set up an, a monthly online uh, session which we which we'll maybe talk about and and as soon as I started to feel useful and that I could offer something that would resonate with people now again we're back to presence um then I then I just became interested again and and kind of got back on a different horse and uh, and got going in a new way and and I am fascinated by that and really you know really glad and really grateful and really interested in in what I'm learning now so um, we'll hear about that in a little while, but tracking right back to uh, the beginning, really, for you, how did you, where did your voice come from? How did you, how did you discover your own? Well, I, I've all, I always sang as a child. I was always, always singing, singing in the back of the car uh, with one hand around my ear so I could hear what I was doing. I was always adept at remembering lyrics I had always a very good musical ear and a very bad approach to practicing the theory and the kind of reading the dots. So I'm very much a kind of instinctive musician. Uh, so absolutely hopeless at, you know, practicing my violin, for example, when I was a little girl. Uh, and uh, and indeed the piano, hopeless at practicing that. Um, so I've always sung, but I really wanted to be an actor. And... Um, started going to Edinburgh Festival with various theatre companies as a performer from the age of 16. Um, and that's when my kind of life began, really. And it was fantastically exciting working with different theatre companies. Wanted to go to acting school, wasn't allowed, strongly discouraged by my family uh, who wanted me to do a degree. So I did a degree in drama, uh, which was great at Hull University. Fantastic place. Loved it, actually. That, and there I got into directing and there I got into singing some, some stuff as a performer as well. Then I went to circus school in Bristol to train as a... Well, I did all the circus skills. I was hopeless at quite a lot of them, like trapeze, but I um, did become a clown. So I worked as a clown for two, two three years. 
and through the whole of that process of being in Bristol and surrounded by the world of circus, I realised that actually I wanted to sing most. So kind of left the clowning behind and trained with lots and lots of amazing vocal teachers. This was in the late 80s. So I went on residential workshops across the UK and into Europe, working with lots and lots of different singers and and specialists in different kinds of voice and became a bit of a magpie really and and sort of stole borrowed begged techniques and things and having always been a workshop leader so when I was clowning I was teaching clown workshops when I was acting I was teaching acting workshops the performers amongst us will know that teaching is often a better way to earn regular cash than performing so I then started uh, thinking about kind of working with voice with with people, teaching voice. Um, joined a circus, went on tour, met my husband who's a musician and a composer. We moved back to the north of England after the tour. And um, then I just booked a space, set up a two, two sessions, publicised that I would be teaching two voice workshops for women. Um, didn't know if anybody would come, bravely, you know, opened up the space for something. I didn't really know what I was going to do apart from use a few techniques I'd learned from other people and started what then became a massive uh, female blues choir hmm. in 1990 in York called Ella Capella. And I've been teaching voice since then. Wow. I mean, and have there been any particular, you've, you've talked about people you've worked with and who you've learned from have there been any particular mentors or significant really significant influences on the way for you in in voice yeah, terms in voice, yeah. um yes there's and there's quite a list actually <laughs> um helen chadwick who is an amazing vocal leader and composer and still um operating and doing wonderful work and i am actually you know a co we're, we're colleagues now we both work together in the map consortium which is another thing that i do which is arts-based work in learning professional development in businesses so helen was a big influence on me um a crazy wild and passionate uh czech singer called ida kalarova who was all about emotion and opening your heart and your soul and telling the truth and basically howling to the skies was very um i worked with her at a very good moment for me when i needed to just find a lot of confidence to really put my voice my large my big my whole sound out into the world she was she was great and and we slightly parted company but she was an influence for me at 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 one time I worked with uh, Catherine Zesserson, who ran the learning and participation department that I worked for at Sage Gateshead for seven years. She was another very strong inspiration for me in terms of working with people, in terms of presence, expression, truth, and kind of simple heart, soul, honesty at the core of everything. Um, can I just can I can I can I stop you there just for a minute because I I love the idea of truth and just could you just elaborate on what you mean by that in terms of voice? 
Yeah, I think, uh, well, I know that, I mean, it, come, it comes back to presence as well. Mm. But if we, the thing that gets in the way of clear expression of the voice, and I think this is in speech as well as in song, but let's stick with singing for now, is the thoughts we have, the distractions we uh, create for ourselves, the opinions we have about ourselves as singers. And that's either uh, a positive thing, I'm a confident singer, here I go, I'm really good at this, look at me, or the negative, I can't sing, I'm out of tune, I was told when I was seven I couldn't, so I never have, all the, the, the kind of internal dialogues. And those internal dialogues get in the way of a true connection to the kind of essential voice that we have. The thing about the voices, and I always tell my students this, is we've kind of already got it. We've got everything we need. We just need to kind of clear the passageways, get the cobwebs out of the way, open up the doors to what's really going on and find the source of it. And that's actually a physical thing. That's much more about where your feet are, what your knees are doing, if your armpits are open, than it is about whether you think you're a good or bad or successful or improving singer. So the truth comes from ad adopting a different viewpoint, a different perspective as a vocalist, so that we are starting to become more observers of a process rather than um, technicians of a, of, a, of a technique. I mean, lots of singing teachers uh, will offer, you know, techniques that you sort of, you put on like you put on a raincoat. I'm more interested in um, sort of un, unblocking channels uh, and see and seeing what is actually there. So it's again, it's it's back to presence. It's like let's start with where we actually are now. This breath, this sound, this offer that the voice can bring in now, and then see what we can build and open from there. And that's where truth is. And then the same can come with writing, with songwriting. It's like what's so th there's a kind of there's a kind of question really that I always have. Uh, sort of overarching everything in my work and in my encouragement to other people, which which is simply, you know, what is happening now, and how can we uh, open and allow it more, whatever it is, and and how can we let the usually outdated opinions, which are usually not useful just take a back seat for a bit so we can bring our whole attention into the uh, possibilities of of this breath and this sound that's what's so amazing about working with voice is that you never you never reach a point where you've done it you have it because because it's it rests in the body and the body is different every day ah i love that i love the idea of being there what is happening mm. now and the offer you know the you are making an offer <laughs> in a way to the person there and and the voices their voice is an offer to that space in that moment and yeah yeah absolutely um em you've been you've written songs i know many and for a long time and we, we're gonna hear one now so perhaps you could um introduce this one still we weave 
Yes, I wrote this in January. Uh, we were all locked down. I was a few months into my my new monthly online session, which is called Voicefulness, uh, which uh, I was lucky enough to get some funding by Arts Council uh, to develop my creative practice. And the aim of Voicefulness is to offer sessions in voice and mindfulness and relaxation and also to sing a song in as choral a way as we can given that we're all shut up in our living rooms and and so my my, my aim for these songs uh, is to make them very easy to learn so learnable in 10 minutes a proper song that you enjoy singing and also something that speaks to the moment and in january i was reflecting on you know the new year and how we were all still in lockdown and how there was really difficult challenges for all of us and also really interesting opportunities without sounding like a boring preachy person but actually some really interesting learning learning about ourselves learning about what it is that we find when we are made to be still um, and so it's a kind of it's a it's a it's a reflection on that and um, yeah, and I taught it in my, my voicefulness session in January. Spiral, a cycle, a circle, a sound All we are losing and all we have found Treading and shedding the threading of strands Lifting and drifting and shifting of sands And we Sown, and we weep. 
Pacing and tracing, embracing return. So you're listening to Love the Words on East Leeds FM and we're talking to M. Whitfield Brooks and that was a song written and performed uh, by M. Still We Weave and M's going to be talking a little about where that fits in her current practice in a few minutes. But M, um, I mean, talking of presence, you know, having seen you work and worked with you uh, with a group of people, with large groups of people, one thing you really are is present, totally present in that space. I mean, what is it you, uh, what is it you get from working, for instance, with large groups of people? Um, oh, well, so much, so much energy and uh, fun and challenge and um the you know sounding like a cheesy cliche but the you know the reminder of the human spirit and the and how art and participation in art can bring such an incredibly powerful shift to people um, I mean, I guess I do. I, I am a director, and I make pieces of theatre with professionals. But I, but I guess I do, and have over the last over my career, really sort of specialised in what they call community participation events, large scale community opera um, and performances with you know people um, from all all kinds of diverse backgrounds with all sorts of different starting points and end points and experiences many many on many of those projects people don't know each other either so it's like a I'm do I feel that I'm doing and we do because I know you do this in your work as well uh, so beautifully is is we're again <laughs> back to weaving but we're kind of weaving um, all sorts of important uh, experience and love and learning and sharing into the process of, in my case, teaching some people a song to put in a show or, you know, doing a, you know, choreographing a routine for once we've learned the song, how are we going to put it on stage? So I, it's very much about, again, me getting out of the way whilst absolutely holding the space so people feel safe and and that there is a direction but also opening up that wonderful thing we that we do in the arts which is when we're making something and we're making something together we don't know what we're going to make but we're going to make something and what's it going to be so it's back to that question what is happening now are we you know so i'm very i'm very much in my work threading the ideas of other people into um what we might uh what we might bring to bear on 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 a moment or a song or a or a scene or a situation um and i absolutely love that and i also love it because i watch people uh shine i watch them uh find out things about themselves and i watch them feel walk out of a session feeling better than when they came in and i watch them you know, making friends with people they may never have made friends with before. All in the in the kind of we're all in a we're all in the same boat, which is what are we doing here? We're making an amazing thing. Usually, the projects I work in are very time limited, so there's a kind of broad brush stroke. We haven't got time to sit around and disappear up the back alleys of of what it all means. We, let's just make something large, colourful, but not without subtlety, and also not 
uh, crap, you know, let's make something brilliant. So I'm very interested in that arena of working with amateurs or non-professionals, I should say. Uh, I mean, we all know what a brilliant piece of performance feels and looks like. And uh, I, it's a bee in my particular bonnet around around community performance that, you know, we can make it as absolutely extraordinary as your top opera company in the land can. Um, just because we're not professionals in this room doesn't mean we can't make something extraordinary. So again, and again, watching that unfold and watching people surprise themselves and rise to professional standards of whether it's just becoming amazing singers and not realising that they could um, or, or, you know, other areas of performance as well, scene making, scene painting, visual stuff, whatever, whatever it is. I mean, I did a project, I did a project with 509 Arts in Batley, which was the, the, um, obviously the town where Joe Cox was, was tragically murdered and it was in 2018 and the, and the, and the town was, and you know, very sore and very hurt. And, um, we, we worked with not many people, about 25 singers and we did a cabaret. And um, it was written specially, and it was just a beautiful project, the whole thing. And, and the, the singers that I worked with at, at the beginning were, you know, not not experienced singers, all of them. And um, they absolutely belted out this extraordinary performance at the end of our process. You know, they stood there in their sequined costumes, just being completely amazing. And, you know, that... that, that that work is a privilege to 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 offer and to do for all those reasons so at the moment i mean and since lockdown i mean from that very sort of broad wide wide camera wide angle mm. work uh, with lots of people you've you've had to to focus down really to yeah. one to one so how how yeah how is how is that? And, and tell us about your your current work. It's well, it's it's actually equally equal, well, differently, but equally delightful and fascinating. Really, I mean, I miss the the large scale work, obviously, but it's just not happening at the minute. I've just had another uh, a hope, uh, one thing we hoped we would do in the autumn now cancelled yesterday because of the latest announcement. So, it's clearly not happening yet. Um, I've, I mean, I've always worked one-to-one. I've always taught individuals to sing. Um, and I resisted that for six months, thinking I'm not, I'm not doing singing on Zoom because I need a body in the room. It's all about the body. But actually, I, am, I do have a few students now. Um, and that's working, that's working as well as it can on Zoom. But mainly, I'm working with uh, coaching, which... <laughs> is just a whole other it's like walking into another room of experience and learning and i'm really enjoying it i'm quite i'm quite new as a coach I've, i do have most of my clients are are working in the arts um so when you say coach i mean do you do you mean i mean because there are singing coaches there are you know sort of you know, all kinds of coaches do you mean yeah. life coach life? yeah i mean i mean yeah i mean some people some people yeah like it, I mean, life coaching. So this, yeah. So I'm. I now. I got in my in lockdown. I got this diploma in um, in um, 
coaching and mentoring. I've mentored people for years, but but the actual kind of the life coaching um, is is this new kind of area of work for me, and it's very much around again <laughs> presence, getting out of the way, and helping somebody think through where they're at, where they want to be. It's not a therapy, it's future focused, can be quite practical, but it obviously opens up all sorts of layers of of hope and possibility and potential. And it's and it's one to one and it's very it's absolutely fascinating. People are just so interesting. And I and I when I first started training to do this work, I was a bit nervous about I just thought, well, I can't bring anything else that I do into this because coaching is different. And actually, of course, all the things I've done, I think, are or can be useful in in the coaching conversation realm because it's just all really, it's all, you know, useful stuff. And I am coaching people in voice. I'm coaching people in songwriting, but in the kind of life coaching arena, um, I'm doing that mostly on Zoom, although I'm starting to see clients in person, which is also lovely. Um, and so, but uh, yeah, there's always, there's, I've always had a uh, strand of work that's been one-to-one. So I'm familiar with that, with that arena. But again, coaching is very much not teaching. It's very much not directing. You're not there to do anything other than be fascinated uh, with somebody else's thinking and situation and are you always fascinated i mean uh, you know there's <laughs> it occurs to me that you know what happens if you're i not... couldn't possibly comment peter <laughs> <laughs> i am no i am always fascinated. yeah i mean and if if you're not fascinated you're not present enough you know well if you're not fascinated you're you're sitting there with your own thoughts thinking you know yeah, yeah. what about me in this and you know it, it is i mean and that, that and that's the skill that's what you have to learn you know, you have to and and practice and prepare for and 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 have the energy for. It's quite tiring. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah but it, but also you're you're not there to solve anything. Mm. You know, you're the, the the whole notion of it is that in in the same way that we've already got the voice we need, we have we already have the instrument. The the notion certainly in my coaching is that the person really has their own answers and solution. They just need help to find it and what's really interesting i think is that it feels to me like everything that you do that i do that we do is about Mm. change is about change and about Mm. learning to respond to the moment and this is seems to be what you've done yourself really in the last and what lots of us have done actually in terms of uh, the the covid stuff because mm. so many of us so many of us work in the space in the room in the present with people and you really mm. have done that you've affected you've affected that you are af- affecting that in your own life that must yeah are you conscious of that i i hope i hope so I, I yeah i think i think i'm conscious of it i mean i've i have been a meditator for 30 years so I have a place that I call kind of home and sanctuary, I guess, which is again it is in the is in the realm of presence and stillness. Mm. Um, so that has been a, I mean that that 
I was listing all the voice teachers and the people I worked with before earlier, but actually that is the kind of egg that binds my pudding, really, and all my teaching and everything that I do in a in a rehearsal space with people as well. So I do have a a kind of rock that I sit on. Um, but yes, it is. You're right. It, it everything that we do is about change, and it's and it's about for me, it's about change, and it's about the source. You know, it's about where it's coming from. Uh, much more than where it's going to. And it's also in kind of in art form terms, in songwriting terms, in singing terms. It's also for me very much about finding something in something else. So as a songwriter, I'm very, I feel very much that I deal with visuals, pictures. When I'm writing, when I'm writing songs, I'm, I'm seeing pictures. Um, and, and when I'm encouraging stillness I'm actually looking for it often in movement and vice versa so there's a kind of yes it, it, I think that that sort of change and the sort of pivotal place that we sit where we're, we're you know stealing from one thing to feed into another and but but somehow resting in in the middle of it with a with a perspective of what is happening now I think is yeah, and also, I mean, and we've had to, you know. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying it's all been so easy for me in the last year. I mean, the first six months were horrendous for me. I've, I had, I had a, a really, really, the, the, the biggest personal struggle I've ever had at the beginning of lockdown, because, because so much of what, and, and I've, that I've learned that about myself. I don't know if other, if other people as well have learned, you know, when you're, when, you, when the thing that you do has been. Uh, destroyed whether it, I'm sure it'll, some of it will, it will come back however differently but at that point when the thing that you do has been destroyed you know who are you and that's a very interesting inquiry to sit with and um, you know I wasn't very good at it at the beginning but well, but this thing of, of you know finding something I could offer that felt useful was was that shift and that change for me well something else that you uh, that you've been doing uh that I, ga I gather and has is is fairly new for you is writing so i mean how tell us about that and its place in your life ah uh, well i've i've always written i've been a big diary i was a big diary girl uh and journals always and I, um, I actually am. I sort of come from a family of writers. There's lots of people in my family write and and have various books published and things. Um, and I have always written songs, as you say. And I'm just, I'm just kind of starting to explore uh, poetry and prose and. At the moment, I'm really interested in life writing. I did a fantastic day. In fact, no, it was just it was a half day workshop with Barney Bardsley, who you know, mm. um, in in memoir and life writing last January, and it was it was part of the literary literature festival in Leeds, and it was a two hour workshop, and it just absolutely was a perfect thing for me at that moment. She was brilliant, and I just got going after that workshop, and have just written quite a lot. Um, about my life and I then did a uh, but in a, not in a kind of diary way hopefully in a kind of different way mm. I haven't done anything with it yet 
um, but I'm hoping to do something with it. Um, then I did a, a writing a writing course funded by Arts Council as part of my developing my creative practice fund, which was brilliant. I did a course at Goldsmiths. Again, so learning, just being a student, you know, working with people who really knew. It was just very nourishing and wonderful. And yeah, I'm still doing that. And I've got some ideas for fiction. And I, what I'm trying to do this year is see if I can have and develop a regular writing practice. That I don't want to put any pressure on myself to produce anything too much, otherwise I just stop writing for a fortnight. As soon as I sit there thinking, yay, I'm writing, hello, here it comes, nothing happens for a month. So I'm sort of tiptoeing towards it quite quietly, but I really, I think it's where I'm really heading. I think it's what it's the it's the arena that I'm really really interested in 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 exploring more well good luck with that and and, and uh, yes i really i really look forward to the time when you can get back with groups that it'd be lovely to have you at chapel fm yes i'd love to come i'd love to come well we've got a lovely space there now which is in our expanded building um which is yeah the old the old um, kind of uh, church hall, really, which is a beautiful parquet floor, lovely acoustic and great, mm, great oh. for big choirs and, and gatherings of people um, and productions. And because uh, you say you're a director as well as a, a, a choir whisperer, which is a lovely phrase. I do love that. And um, but yeah, it'd be <laughs> great to have you there. I, I, I have a I, when I worked at the Royal Armouries uh, years ago as a writer in residence there, I organised a a choir festival with visiting choirs you had about 14 choirs singing amongst the the swords and landmarks. oh wow fantastic uh, and it was uh, it was great but i think um it'd be lovely in the spaces we've got and outside actually and uh, outside the building to have a similar event it'd be great to yeah let's there. let's do it let's i'd do love it. to yeah let's do it so f for a final piece of of music this is another piece of yours tell us tell us a, a bit about it <laughs> Okay, thank you. So this is my most recent song. I wrote this for um, a recent voicefulness session. And again, so again, we're very simple and kind of hopefully learnable and enjoyable and, and, and you know, positive. Uh, basically, I wrote this in response to the um, awful things that have been going on in terms of, oh God, the world and the the particularly actually the police response to the Sarah Everard thing mm. where it was just so badly handled. And it's, it's a kind of, it's a call to action. It's a call to protest. It's a call to gather and bring our voices together and just say we have had enough of the things we've had enough of, but it is also an equally important plea for continuing to be nice to each other as well. So this this terrible state we're in, in the world at the moment, where the, the opportunity to have proper deep debate and conversation from different viewpoints is becoming so difficult because people are becoming so divided and so so binary and so black and white about things. So it's a kind of, you know, let's get together and, and use our voices to say what we what we can't, what we're not going to stand for anymore. But 
but is it possible to still be nice to each other and respectful and keep listening and keep being present with each other? And the song is called Tender Revolution. So thanks ever so much, Em, for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Let's
Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. So uh, I'm sitting on the top of Cardboard Hill in LS6 with the poet Joe Williams. It's a very nice place to be sitting, isn't it, Joe? It is. Uh, it's um, a place I've been spending quite a bit of time lately, sat here in the sun reading books and such. That sounds a very pleasant way to spend uh, a pandemic. Yes, I, th- I think it's probably uh, the best way to spend a pandemic if you can get away with it. Absolutely. Well, we, we, the, the only book amongst us at the moment is your new collection, which is The Taking Part, and uh, yeah, which I've got and I'm really enjoying. So tell us a bit about, um, about obviously, the, the theme of it but, and what it's about, but also yeah, how it came together. It's something that's been coming together for quite a few years, really. Um, it probably goes back to 2016, I think, and I had a couple of poems that were on a sort of sporty theme. And I thought maybe this is something I can I can do more of, uh, and eventually make a make a book perhaps. So I didn't concentrate on it really, but uh, now and then I'd come up with another poem which I thought would fit into it. Until um, end of 2019, I thought I've probably got about half a book here, so let's try and do the rest. So I I uh, focused on the rest of the writing, and. Um, yeah, the, the theme kind of expanded a bit beyond sport as it was originally. So now it's a, it's a book on the theme of sports and games. Um, but it's poems, so poems being what they are, they're not really about those things at all for the most part. They just use that as an excuse to do whatever the hell they want to do. That's poems for you, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. They're a, they're a subtle front, a Trojan horse for smuggling in other things. But yes, uh, you're quite right. I'm not, and I'm remember, already remembering a couple of poems like the one about your grandmother, that seemed to be about more than uh, more than the sport. Yeah, I mean, in, in that particular one, um, the only reference to any sport is just one line, really, mentioning uh, Cliff Thorburn when he got his one four seven in the World Championships. You probably remember that as well. Um, which, yeah, is one of the things that kind of is really strong in my memory from when I was, uh, what, seven or eight I would have been. And that's, I think that's one of the interesting things about sports. If you're not even interested in sport, there are still lots of kind of cultural moments which are really important beyond the actual kind of sport and reality of it. So the 1966 World Cup final is an obvious example. Mm. Everyone in Britain pretty much knows what that's all about. You don't have to be interested in football at all because it was such a such a a, a wider had such a wider cultural impact. And that's kind of the reason why I was interested in writing about all of this sort of thing. It's about where you are when certain things happen that you share, whether it's with, uh, you know, with same people, millions of people watching the telly, or I suppose it was just one or two people in the case of the with your nana. Yes, exactly. It's got that impact beyond what the uh, the obvious apparent sporting relevance. Well, perhaps you could read a few book, a few poems from the book. Uh, you've got a, a couple. I've got a request as well. Uh, so to start us off, yeah, if you could, uh, well, maybe you should read that one to begin with, the one about your nana. Okay, I can do that. You put me on the spot here. I wasn't intending to do that one, but why not? Since we're talking, let's go for it. Since we're talking, 
Uh, the poem is called, it's called Nana's House. My sister says she'd always refuse to give us any biscuits. It still annoys her now, but I don't remember that. On her own since 79, when Grandad fell, fractured his skull, one way to end a party. I don't remember that. We bonded over puzzle books, word search and logic problems. If there was anything else we shared, I don't remember that. In her sitting room in 83, Thorben scored a maximum. His pal Big Bill peeking round, and I remember that. Good luck, mate. I'll take my sister's word about the biscuits. Yeah, lovely stuff, yeah. And, and if you'd like to read the ones that you'd planned to read... <laughs> to let's do that. Yeah. I was intending to start with uh, a reliable history of the marathon. Philippides invented it in 490 BC. Was so excited by his own idea, he immediately dropped down dead. Never even filed a patent. He could have made a fortune in royalties. The earliest surviving account is by Plutarch 600 years later. By then, everyone was doing it for charity, dressed as rhinos or tins of beans, recording it all on Strava. It wasn't until the 1896 Olympics that people started taking it seriously. The BBC weren't interested, thought three hours was much too long. There was only one channel then, and no red button. They showed the beach volleyball instead. Later, they added wheelchairs and eventually even women. But the biggest change was in 1990, when the marathon was renamed the Snickers. A lot of people are still quite upset about that. 52% of them voted to leave the IOC. The official length of the Snickers is 26 miles and 385 yards. They say it was Edward VII who added the extra yards to get a better view of the finish line, but that isn't true. You shouldn't believe everything you're told. Absolutely right, and um, yeah, there's there's also a, a pedigree, I suppose, in the in the work that you've done with Half Moon and the anthology. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that poem I just did was actually in the in the anthology that he's talking about, um, uh, which was called "The View from Olympia," and it was an anthology that came out uh, around about this time last year, last summer. Um, it was intended to to coincide with the Olympic Games, uh, and that was the theme of the book. A poem is about Olympic sport, um, but of course, the Olympics didn't happen hopefully they'll be happening soon uh, but we brought out the book anyway because uh, we'd, we'd planned all of this before we'd never heard of the coronavirus or anything like that so we just uh, we carried on so yeah there's a couple of the poems in in this book that are also in that anthology and yeah the one of the reasons why we decided on that theme was because I'd been working on this uh, sport and games theme myself and I thought it would be nice to kind of spin off from that and and have an anthology with with other people's work in it as well. I mean, is there a? I suppose there is a tradition of 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 poems and poetry about sport, but maybe it's in ancient times more about eulogising, not kind of uh, trumpeting the, the the heroic qualities of particular sports people. I don't know. I'm not really acquainted with that tradition. Are you? Uh, no, not particularly. I suppose in. Um uh, things like Homer, there's uh, they talk about kind of Achilles' prowess with the javelin and mm. that sort of thing, don't they? So I suppose maybe that's that's part of it. Uh, and of course, the ancient Olympics were very much a, a sort of uh, almost a hero worship sort of festival. Mm. Yeah, and then and more recently, there's quite a lot of football poetry around. Yeah. Um, other than that, I'm not sure there's all that much. 
really. Uh, when we did the anthology, I didn't really know what we were going to get because I didn't know what people had written on this subject. And the variety of stuff we got was uh, was incredible, really. Um, and like in my book, a lot of things that explored other subjects far beyond the uh, the sport. And uh, it was, yeah, it was great to see that. So I think perhaps there should be more poems about sport. Yeah, I mean, Ian McMillan and Barn Street Football Club obviously come to mind. But yeah, I think maybe we, we're we sort of fixated on this idea that poetry is about certain subjects. Uh, like, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's, it's, it's probably a very outdated notion, but love and flowers. But sport, I don't know, maybe not. But it's worth it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you know, none of my work really explores flowers and that sort of thing. <laughs> love a bit more, yes. Um, I try to write about um, the more... Uh, more less covered subjects that's not a very good sentence is it but there we are um mm. yeah and you know i think it's important to try to explore these things i always try and encourage new writers in particular to explore original ideas i always say write about whatever the hell you want to and don't you know necessarily fall into into those old subjects if you want to write about flowers great write about flowers but just be aware that about a million other people are probably writing a flowers poem at the same time. <laughs> Talking about love, I'd like you to read a poem, uh, if you don't mind, this is my request, called Third Slip, ah. which is about cricket and, well, I won't say anything else. I enjoyed it. That's the one, that's one I haven't done for a long time. Where is it now? Here we are. Third Slip. Bowl me over, run me out, catch me at third man Hit my leg before my wicket, stump me if you think you can Hit me for a four, a six, drive me through deep cover Tell me that we're not all out, you're still my legside lover <laughs> Legside lover sounds vaguely rude and carry on to me bit, But that's, uh, uh, that's fine by <laughs> me <laughs> Have you got another one that you'd like to read there? Yeah, I'll do... Um... I'm going to do a poem called Cathedrals. I, I said before that the the theme kind of spread out a bit wider than than just sports. So there's things about board games and TV quiz shows and pub games and all that sort of thing as well. Um, and I wanted to write something about stadiums because I really like stadiums. Uh, we're not far from Headingley Stadium here, of course, uh, where I used to work for a while. So um, I spent a lot of time there. And I always think there's, there's just a, a kind of a nice feeling about being in a stadium or even outside a stadium whether that's full of people or not there's a kind of unique special feeling about it I think so I wanted to write about that this is cathedrals there's something in the angles those webs of knitted steel how many million voices have been captured in that silk how many cries of victory frustration and despair have risen from these terraces the edges of these flip-down seats to echo in the rafters long after we are dead. Have you ever been alone in a cathedral? Just you and all history's ghosts. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, talking of stadia, I'm, I'm actually going to be in Headingley this evening to watch a T20 with... Uh, with uh, Yorkshire play with Tony McAleese so there you go and talking of which the new sports programme on uh, East Leeds FM is uh, really gearing up and I th I'm hoping you'll be part of that sometime 
Uh, yes, hope so. Well, I've been uh, talking to, to Keith about that, and we're, we haven't arranged anything yet, but hopefully I'll be uh, on, a, on a future programme and talk a bit more about the book and do a couple of poems. Uh, well, I very much hope so. And in the last one, you can, we, there was some wonderful talk of, uh, of wild swimming, uh, so do catch up with that. It's on the website. But, Joe, where can we get hold of, of The Taking Part? Uh, well, it's published by Maytree Press, so you can get it from their website. But if you get it from me directly, I can give you a signed one, if you like. Uh, if, if you're local to me, I might even bring it to you personally. That would be good, wouldn't it? So if you look at joewilliams.co.uk, you can order it on there. Uh, it is, how much is it again? £7 plus postage, if you need postage. It's a deal. Um, and so finally, Joe, uh, given the fact that this will be broadcast just before the uh, the final of the Euros, if you'd like to leave us with uh, a football poem, that would be brilliant. Yes, that sounds like a very good idea. I'll do you a football poem that's really not a football poem at all. It's called Penalty Shootout in Zero Gravity. It was Barry's idea, so he only has himself to blame. For all the thrill of orbital flight, of seeing the Earth from space, those journeys are so damn boring. I admit to sneaking the ball in, and that Barry was winding me up. The running commentary didn't help, calling me Gareth Southgate, him being Andreas Kerpke. No one could have predicted the ball would hit the airlock button, just when Barry was leaping up, trying to stop my rocket blast straight to the top left corner. Perhaps he'll be a hero yet. Get a glove to an asteroid hurtling towards the Earth. The slightest of deflections. Nudging it over the bar. So thank you very much, Joe Williams, for talking to us about taking part in your new poetry collection. Not about sport. Mostly not about sport, I would say, yes. <laughs> Love the cases, love the clauses, love the adverbs and the antecedents, love the words. From ELFM. I'm the earning, the boy, yeah.